Who hasn't tried to visualize our homes of the future? Who hasn't seen glossy images of tomorrow's buildings with their sci-fi-like shapes, green roofs and out-of-this-world technologies? While the houses and gadgets of the future remain a figment of our imagination, every aspect of progress starts from the smallest germ of an idea. Today's ideas will enable tomorrow's world to respond to the ongoing climate, environmental and energy crisis. Although we cannot rely solely on the magic of technology to turn things around, sometimes a small innovation can make a large difference. I'm Hermine, and in this episode, your NetPlus journalist meets some of Europe's designers, architects and other creative minds who already have one foot in tomorrow's world. And we start in Italy, where we meet Maddalena Silvini, a young designer who talks about her work and her relationship with what we commonly call waste. She tells Radio 24's Giulia Cannizzaro that the sustainability of her work is almost involuntary, adding that any material can be transformed into a meaningful and long-lasting object with a little bit of imagination and love. Se si riesce a creare un oggetto If you create any object with a lot of care, then this object is considered an example of good design and its story is told in a certain way. It gains in value and so may also be passed on from one generation to the next. It becomes more difficult to throw it away without a second thought, as we do with those things that end up in our shopping trolley without us considering that we never really needed them. So as a designer, but also as a consumer, this is my way of thinking. A fashion designer and lecturer at Kaunas University of Technology in Lithuania explains to Augustia Liberitje from Ginura Dias that his eco-friendly line of men's suits was similarly born out of a desire to find a use for the scraps of fabric that are inevitably thrown away when new garments are created. We had this idea. Since we make our suits with the highest quality certified wool, which is a really, really great fabric, there are always larger or smaller pieces of material left over. It's important to note that in the fashion industry, about 20% of the material is left over from the cutting process. If we hit a utilization rate of 80%, This is considered good enough. But we couldn't bear to throw away these offcuts, so we collected them and stored them, until one day we had to decide what to do with this waste. The decision was made to create a separate collection of products, and later this collection grew into a line. We now have a separate sustainable line where we put all of our production waste to use in creating new products. We can't say that we're completely zero waste, we're not quite there yet but we're using up all of our major waste in the creation of new designs. Making the most of all the materials already in circulation is certainly important. And given a frenzy for fast fashion, sourcing water and energy-efficient fabrics is also a major focus of research, as we saw in a previous episode. Bedreit Os, a sustainable fashion designer and senior researcher at the Estonian Academy of Arts, tells Kukku Radio's Mart Waldner that if we want to reduce the amount of new fabric produced, 
then we need to go one step further. Tuleks tegeleda aktiivselt sellega, et mida me üldse turule paneme, milliseid tooteid me loome. We should actively address what we put on the market in the first place, what kind of products we create, what kind of design education we have, what kind of designers we train, and whether they can create life cycle based products. We're capable of making 100% recyclable clothes, where even the buckle is made of the same material. Essentially, you can take this product, push it through a tube, and a thread comes out the other end. Viscose is one example. Petroleum-based fibers are another. If we already have them, we should gather them up, and many of them can be recycled over and over again. That's where we should start, developing mono-materials that we can keep in circulation. Wool is a material that we can keep in circulation, as its fibers are durable. But certainly, chemical recycling and viscose-like materials are the future. But let's look beyond fashion. Given the long lifespan of buildings we inhabit, those who design the houses of the future have a key role to play in minimizing our long-term impact on the natural world. While a lot of effort will be put into renovating existing buildings, new houses will already be expected to tick all the right boxes. Petar Dikov, executive director of the Institute of Urban Planning and previously Sofia Municipality's chief architect, tells journalist Katya Vasileva at BNR that energy-efficient architecture is a logical concept that in fact far predates our reliance on electricity and heating and cooling systems. Since ancient times, people have made serious efforts to build their buildings in a way that saves energy. There's a solid tradition in this respect. For example, if you look at the old Roma quarters in Bulgarian cities, you'll see that they are always situated on a southern slope, on a very sunny southern slope. The majority of the houses only have a south-facing facade, At our latitude, south is a perfect exposure for energy efficiency. With a southern exposure, the winter sun is low and can penetrate deep into rooms and warm them up. The summer sun, on the other hand, is high, and with a southern exposure, it hardly enters the rooms. In other words, there's no need for cooling. This design principle is not a new one. This very design principle is at the heart of the work of Finnish construction company Lamin Betoni Oi, which organized a design competition focusing on low-carbon construction. Its marketing director, Markus Ikkileinen, explains to our Finnish colleague, Maria Markus, that when designing a future-proof home, it is vital to consider the building's design, maintenance, operation and performance throughout all seasons of the year and all years of its life. Many people think that low carbon in construction only refers to the emissions produced by the building materials during the construction phase. But in reality, most of a building's carbon footprint comes from its use. That's why we think we need to design buildings that last as long as possible. For example, you have to think about whether the structures of the building are diverse and difficult, or simple, in which case they remain more operational and are easier to maintain. And in Finland, you have to think about, for example, what kind of eaves the house has, so that the facade remains as well protected as possible. The amount of household technology has increased, and if the house is going to last for the next 100 years, this will continue to increase in the future too. It must be taken into account at the planning stage, so that there's sufficient technical scope in the house.
In Finland, the fireplace is important as a secondary heat source. It's also important to consider the sun and light in the design, so that the building does not heat up too much and there are shading structures during the summer. On the other hand, when the sun shines lower during the spring and autumn, that light and heat needs to be captured through the building and the windows. It's also really important when designing long-lasting houses to make them ad as adaptable as possible, so that they meet the needs of different families and stages of life. Matevs Granda, who is speaking to Tatiana Milovanovic, our colleague at RTV Slovenia, is also a publicist for Slovenia's Outsider magazine, which raises awareness of architecture and space in the context of wider cultural considerations. Granda points out to the growing trend in construction to return to nature and natural materials. What we're seeing at a European level is that architects and the construction industry are becoming interested in natural materials. There's a breakthrough happening here, where processes and methods are being optimized. And I think this is the way we are heading in the future, because more and more experts are becoming aware of the problems caused by us encroaching on nature as we know it today. Technologies are changing in such a way that eco-friendly construction is becoming more and more economically competitive, but above all, environmentally accountable while offering a high standard of living. While this may be the trend in Slovenia, it is not necessarily the case everywhere. Also, Balesh Szelekszenyi, a designer at Hungary's award-winning sustainable architectural studio Hellowood, tells journalist Xila Adam. He believes that training is key to changing this. In our experience, environmentally friendly and natural materials are still not very widespread in Hungary. Further west, they're increasingly becoming an everyday part of construction. We use a lot of plastic for thermal insulation, and our construction technology is based on reinforced concrete. There are now quite a few advanced materials that can replace concrete. For example, it's possible to build tall houses out of wood. In this country, the legislative environment is not yet favorable to these new materials, and we really lack professionals who specialize in them. We don't have a pool of experts who know how to design using these materials. Things are changing, and some of these changes could be accelerated. The good news is that these solutions are becoming more fashionable. More and more people are demanding wood builds and natural insulation. Training in this area should be prioritized. While the case for these architectural developments may seem fairly self-explanatory, there are still many barriers to the development of more sustainable buildings. One of these is legislation. As Shelik mentioned in passing, and Diana Bayare, professor of civil engineering at Riga Technical University, also tells our colleague at Latvia's radio. I think that this green thinking, which first started to spread among weird people in the private sector, is now no longer so weird. In fact, it's becoming fashionable and more and more big companies are thinking about it. But of course, there are also many other things holding back green building. There are areas where the government could come to the rescue with initiatives. A lot of these new things are not legislated for, and they are quite difficult to achieve through standards alone. Indeed, according to testimonies gathered from various member states during the preparation of this podcast, public authorities remain crucial 
to facilitating this evolution. Back in Slovenia, architecture student Pierre Gerbeck, whose focus is on the use of local materials in construction, confirms that there is no shortage of interest in building with natural materials, but sadly, a lot of red tape and hidden costs. Compared to Europe as a whole, the problem here mainly lies in expensive certificates and permits and in the legislation that would enable this type of construction. It's more complicated here even to get a permit to build such facilities in the first place, compared, for example, to Austria, where this is already much better established and therefore easier to implement. Yet Ricardo Camacho from Portugal's Order of Architects ends on an upbeat note. He believes that the EU has been a critical catalyst in helping Portugal's traditional architecture industry to overcome its reluctance and move in a more environmentally friendly direction. Camacho is talking to Cristina Nascimento at Radio Renascença. I think Brussels has been key here. On the one hand, the directives impose immediate measures at a legislative level in Portugal. And on the other, our dependence on funds ends up also defining this agenda. Because in order to be able to apply for funds, we have to meet a series of expectations. We're under that agenda, and it seems to me that this process has been very positive. And that's it for today. Join us again next time for a new episode of our Green Deal podcast. Bye.